you turn to page 1127. In your pew Bibles, we come to Romans 13. Romans 12 and 13, a call to respond to the gospel. The love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord in which he gave himself, sacrificed himself for us. Calling us to respond now by offering our bodies to him as a loving, living sacrifice to God. Romans 13, our text this afternoon, the last section there, verses 8 through 14. Again, the end of chapter 12, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is God's word. May he bless us by it, congregation. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, maybe you were irritated by last week's sermon title, The Right Honorable Mr. Trudeau. Maybe you were more than irritated, offended. But that title really is the point of the passage, the government that exists. 
not the one that we wished existed. The government that exists, whoever that is, right here, right now, is from the Lord, and it, he, must be honored. Whether we like him or not, we must love him as our neighbor, and that's where Paul goes next. Oh, honor. Oh, taxes. And then he goes on to say, oh, no debt except love. He moves from the owing, what we owe the government, to continue the theme of what we owe. As Christians, we're set apart in this world in the way we treat our neighbors, including our leaders. And for Christ's sake, we honor and respect them even though we may respectfully protest tyrannical laws and policies. And at times we must respectfully disobey their orders when they go against God's word. But we're set apart and we honor them because for us they're not the be-all, end-all. So our well-being in the end does not depend on who's in power and what they're doing. It depends on our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In him you have a life, you have hope, you have a future, you have strength, you have joy. And that's why Christians respond to their civil government in a different way than anybody else in the world, historically. But also according to the call of God. Now I want to correct or at least clarify a point that I made last week in the sermon I may have left the impression that as long as we're not being persecuted, we still must obey every law, even if it goes against God's word. But if it's persecution, then we don't have to. No, no, persecution isn't the deciding factor, whether we must disobey our government. God's word is the deciding factor. So I want to be clear about that. Whenever we are being called to go against God's word, whether the reason is persecution Or not. God's word is above all. So we want to keep that clear. But as Christians, brothers and sisters, it is easy to get lost in social justice fights, in political fights, in culture wars. It is easy to forget Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not. It's easy to live as if our lives depend on who's in government and what they do or don't do rather than on Jesus. It's easy to get so obsessed when a government is doing wrong, so preoccupied with resisting or even hating your government or with following or fighting its mandates that we lose our heads And we get lost in this world and in the kingdoms of this world, which will all perish. And that's where Paul ends this chapter of offering your bodies as a living sacrifice. Keep your head. Keep your focus. The night is almost over. The day of the Lord is almost here. Focus on the Lord Jesus who's returning. 
Keep your eyes on the prize. And don't let anything else, don't let anything else get you off course. That's how Christians are set apart in politics and culture. By keeping our focus on Christ. That's how we navigate everything else. And and when we lose our focus, and we get lost in the stuff. So we got to keep our focus on the appearing of Jesus and on his kingdom. And that's what we see in this passage. Keep your eyes on the prize first by keeping on loving your neighbor and secondly by keeping on living for Jesus. Keep on loving your neighbor. Keep on living for Jesus. Oh, verse eight, owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Love is powerful. The most powerful tool the Christian has in this world. From the gospel. From Jesus Christ, who in love for God himself set himself aside to serve others, to save us. And when you believe in Jesus, that gift of love is given to you. Love is powerful because God is love. God is love. That's what John says. Love is like a guardrail that keeps you out of the ditch on the highway of life. Keeps you out of the weeds. There are the weeds of anger and rage and malice and bitterness and self-centeredness and immorality and impatience and legalism and pride and small-minded pettiness and many other deadly poisons. And love is the guardrail. that helps us avoid these ditches. It's like a highway in winter. Stay on the road and you're okay, but get caught in the slush on the edge and you'll get pulled off into the ditch. It's so easy to get caught in the slush of fury and rage and quarreling and fighting and end up getting stuck in the ditch. Only love can keep you out. God's love living in you by the Spirit. And so that's Paul, and you read that in Peter as well. That's Paul's concern that in this world where there's so much wrong and injustice and corruption and abuse, don't let raging against the machine get the better of you, brothers and sisters. I feel that in my heart so often. Raging against the machine can get into your soul. Paul says, no, fight back with love. Fight back with good deeds. Fight back with blessing when people curse you. Love your enemies. Love your prime minister. Be a peaceable person. Verse 9, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the commandments of God are all about. 
The seventh, you shall not commit adultery. The sixth, you shall not murder. The eighth, you shall not steal. The tenth, you shall not covet. And all the rest, says Paul. They're about ways to love God and your neighbor. Careful not to twist this teaching like antinomians do. People who reject the commandments. They say the law of love replaces the commandments. We don't need the commandments anymore. We just have the law of love. No. The law of love does not replace the commandments. It summarizes them. It fills them up. The commandments become real. When they're filled with the power of love, the love of the gospel, the love of God living in you. Think about it this way. Maybe you don't steal. But if you don't love your neighbor and help him in his time of need, you're stealing. You keep the eighth commandment, but have not love. You're not keeping the eighth commandment. Maybe you haven't been found with another man or a woman. But if you're not loving and cherishing your spouse, you're committing adultery against her or him. You're not being faithful in your marriage. Maybe you're not pulling the trigger on your neighbor. But what if you hate him for something he did to you and refuse to pursue peace with him as much as you can? And you're murdering him in your heart. You can keep all the commandments on the outside, but if they're not filled with love on the inside, you're getting lost. You're not keeping the commandments. So without love, keeping the commandments becomes breaking the commandments. That's the point. That's what makes legalism so harsh. Oh yes, I'm keeping them jot and tittle. I still hate you. I'll still trample on you when I can, but I'm, I'm, no. So verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Only love can protect you from doing harm to a neighbor. Even the commandments can't protect you from harming your neighbor unless they're filled with love. Only love can protect you from hurting your spouse. Only love can keep you from hurting your enemy. Only love can keep you from hating your prime minister. Only love can help you to keep doing good in an evil world where you've been marginalized, where you've been beat up, where you've been bruised, insulted, where you've been called the fringe or whatever else you may have to endure. And that's both Paul and Peter's point in relationship to your neighbor, including the emperor. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul says, then do what is good in Romans 13, verse 3. And Peter says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. You get hated, you get beat up, you get tyrannized. They speak against you. But when they see your good deeds that will glorify God on the day of visitation, 1 Peter 2, 14, this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put the silence, the ignorance of foolish people. Doing good. Doing love. 
And of course, that goes back to chapter 12, what love looks like. That we commit and recommit ourselves to brotherly affection, outdoing one another in showing honor, contributing to the needs of the saints, showing hospitality, blessing those who persecute you, living in harmony with one another, living peaceably with all men as much as you are able, putting away desire for revenge, giving food and drink to your enemy, loving in a way that you will truly help and not hurt. Just go back to verse 8 for a minute. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. Now, some people take this to mean you should not ever take out a mortgage. I believe that's taking it out of context. The word really, the word O again goes back to verse 7. If you look back to verse 7, pay to all what is owed to them. There's that word owed. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Don't be left owing anything to anybody. Pay your bills. There's only one debt that you never should finish paying, and that's the debt of love. That's the debt that's never done in this world. That you're never finished paying. And that's the way God wants it. Here's the point. Instead of focusing on the debt of justice people owe you, God will take care of that debt. Instead of focusing on the debt of justice and fairness people owe you, focus on the debt of love you owe people. For Christ's sake. And so, brothers and sisters, love is powerful. It protects us from getting derailed by evil and all the wrong that is out there. And there is lots of it. Helps you keep your focus on Christ and what he did for you, how he loved you when you were so evil. And how he keeps doing good to you and is patient with you even though you continue to wrong him in so many ways. And he keeps loving us. So we are to love our neighbor as God so loved us and has given us up for his good. See, this call to love really is a call to stay focused on Jesus, right? Focused on Christ. And his love for you, which never fails. Doesn't keep record of wrongs, but rejoices in the right. So our neighbor is never the reason we love. Our Savior is the reason we love. So that's the first call of the Lord Jesus here. Keep your eyes on the prize. By not letting this world and its pains and pleasures and troubles and infuriating things get into your bloodstream and begin to drive your life. Love is, in a sense, the watchword of freedom. So you don't get lost 
in the junk and the sadness, the pain, the trouble. But it's only by focusing on Christ that you can keep on loving. Secondly, keep on loving. But keep on living for Jesus. These two are closely related. Especially you see that in those first two words, verse 11. Besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Besides this. Literally it reads, and this. Knowing the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. There's a, there's a verb missing there. It's implied. And do this. Do this loving your neighbor. And do this love that's found in chapters 12 and 13. Knowing the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Do this knowing that the Lord is returning. And you want to stay focused on him and not get lost. And not lose your head in this world. Do this. Knowing that the day is at hand. Jesus is coming back soon. It's all part of the Christian's ultimate focus. We live in this world as a people who don't get lost in this world and set apart from the blood of, by the blood of Jesus, by the spirit of Jesus, to live an otherworldly life as pilgrims here. And an otherworldly life means our focus is on the joy that Jesus gives us, the inheritance that is coming for us in Jesus, the pleasures that he gives us, the happiness and fulfillment fullness the new world that we have in him and it's ours and it's ours now already even though that salvation isn't fully experienced yet it's now but it's, it's not yet the day of the Lord Do this knowing the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. The day is at hand. Salvation is nearer to us now than we first, when we first believed. It's around the corner. You see, our salvation is past tense. We were saved when we believed. We received the gift of full salvation. But there's also a future side to it. The full experience, the full implementation of your salvation isn't ours yet until Jesus comes back. Salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. Jesus will raise your body from the grave. Or if you're still living when he returns. He'll change your body in a moment at the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. And he'll carry you into his new creation, the new Jerusalem, heaven on earth, the home of righteousness, where there'll be no more curse, no pain, no sorrow, nor death. You can handle anything here. 
That's Paul's point. When your focus is there. Anytime I approach insanity, it's because I've lost my focus. I'm not keeping my eyes on the prize. You can handle anything here when your focus is there. On the other hand, you can't handle anything here if your focus is not there, if you're losing your grip on eternity. To put it another way, eternity makes suffering bearable. Losing sight of eternity makes suffering unbearable. That's with anything. Cultural suffering, suffering, family suffering, political suffering, relational of any kind. Now we don't know how long we have to wait before that day comes. But the night is almost over. The night of this present darkness. Of this world where we live as pilgrims until Jesus returns. The day is almost here. Now, Paul said this 2,000 years ago. Was he wrong? No, he was right. Because there's only one thing left on God's redemption calendar, and that's Jesus' return. That's the next thing. It is soon. It is soon. What should you do? The hours... The days are ticking away. The alarm clock is just about ready to go off. What should you do? Paul says, it's time to wake up from sleep. Get out of your pajamas. Put on your fighting clothes, he says. Put on the armor of light. Verse 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Jesus is building his church on enemy territory. So we have to put on not our sleeping clothes, but our fighting clothes. And brothers and sisters, the way to keep your eyes on the prize, Jesus, is not to let sin overcome your life. Whether it's the sin of sexual immorality or rage. Whether it's the sin of spiritual laziness and drowsiness or fear. Jesus put it this way in Luke 21. When he said, keep your eyes on the return of the Son of Man because there's lots of stuff to get you distracted. I think of that in the last two years, right? Of course, it's been going on for 2,000 years. Satan loves to throw, dangle all these little distractions so that we suddenly 
go after that as the main thing or go after this as the main thing and have all kinds of biblical positions on it. He likes that too. You're, it's okay if you're, re, you're religious, very religious, as long as you're not deeply religious, focused on Jesus. He dangles all these distractions. Jesus said this, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day of the Lord comes upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake, he says. I'm sure Paul is thinking about the words of the Lord Jesus. Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So keep loving your neighbor and keep looking for your Savior. Those are the two. And so... Paul puts on these, brings before us these contrasts. Let's look at them again. Contrast one, verse 12b. Let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Suddenly we think about the armor of God. In Ephesians 6, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the boots of the gospel of peace. Then he explains what it is to put off the works of darkness. Verse 19. Pardon me, verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Orgies. Group sex parties. Drunkenness. Often part of the orgies, but not always. Getting lost in alcohol as your chosen pain medication, your chosen relief from the things that get you down. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. That is 2022, just like it was in the Roman culture. Follow your feelings. If you feel like moving in with your boyfriend or girlfriend and living in fornication, do it. You don't want to hurt yourself. If you feel like you need to put on, create, invent a new identity so that the emptiness can be filled, do it. Put on a new gender. Put on a new kind of relationship. Be creative. Let your passions flow. And you'll be full. You'll be happy. You'll be free. Only thing is you're trampling on the image of God in which you were made. And you can only damage yourself. And you'll feel free because of the euphoria of something new, but you'll be left more damaged, more empty than when you 
started. That's the way of this world and the church is so tempted to follow in this pathway of sensuality and sexual immorality. And not in quarreling and jealousy. That's another route people take. Fighting. Feuding. Focusing on the little things and then just going to war. And getting off course and off focus. Rather than letting it go for the sake of the Lord Jesus. He's going to get on that quarreling issue and Chapter 14, don't quarrel over opinions. That's what was impacting the church at Rome. So so he's going to go there. But when you quarrel over opinions, you're taking the distraction of Satan and you're just going whole hog after that and forgetting keeping your eyes on the prize. What should we do instead? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And that's the answer. It's not fight harder to do good. Fight harder to do right, yes, but how do you do that? You put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You come to his gospel. You study him. You focus on him. You long for him. You look for him. And as you do that, he lives in you more. And his spirit works in you more. And his spirit transforms you more and more. And you become salt, more salty and more light. And then you have more armor to fight. That, that's how we fight against the immorality and evil and quarrelsomeness of our age. It's by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and when you fix your eyes on him, when you trust in him, when you believe his gospel, when you learn him, he gets in your blood and when he's in your blood and in your system and the focus of your heart, it's a lot harder for something else to take that place and take over your life. So you lose your head and you get lost in this world. Brothers and sisters, your salvation's on the horizon. The alarm clock is about ready to go. It's just around the corner. Jesus is almost here. Let that captivate you. Let that possess you and obsess you. Let that drive you. Let that be your first love as we live for God in this crooked and depraved generation. Amen. Let's pray. Father, for the sake of your son and for the sake of our salvation, help us hear this call from Romans 13 to keep our eyes on the prize. We feel ourselves to be pulled in so many different directions. We feel that it is so easy to lose our way, to get lost in the weeds, and to forget the center, the prize, 
the upward call of God in Christ Jesus to forget you. Lord, draw us to yourself. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him despised the cross, enduring or endured the cross, despising its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of God in glory. Amen.